Hello and welcome to Muse Murders. This is a new podcast where every Friday we'll be exploring unfortunate cases of artists involved in crime. My name is Lithocop and I'm joined by Sades and in this week's episode we'll be exploring the murderous, renowned Italian master Caravaggio. Welcome to Muse Murders, where art and crime collide. Right, so I'm sitting on a, a stool. Makes me feel <laughs> makes me feel like a muse myself. I feel like I should pose like a. I'm not a painting very... you. This is not where this is leading <laughs> to. I'm not going to paint you. <laughs> At the very end, we'll uh, we'll post on social media the the final painting result. Um, so today's episode is about Caravaggio. Uh, one thing I, I, I honestly don't know, Caravaggio. I'm not a an art person. Neither am I a crime person. So it'll be interesting to see. And luckily, what, I am how both. this? Yeah, exactly. Or how this uh, story pans out. Anyway, <laughs> who is he? Uh, okay, first. So, Caravaggio. That's not how you actually pronounce it, but that's gonna how I'm gonna have to say it because of my. <laughs> accent. I'm not Italian. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Italy. Uh, so he was born. The 29th of September, 1571. So this is a little bit of a long time so ago. So is this... The, so that's like Henry VIII. No, that's after Henry VIII. I have no that's idea. That's long after Henry VIII. That's like Elizabeth I, not second. God rest her peace. <laughs> <laughs> a moment's silence for our, our late queen. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, his, uh, his full name is not Caravaggio. Okay. Um, that's the name that was attached to him because that was the village he was from, which is interesting. That's interesting. So, so I would name... be, uh, oh, I would be, yeah. Dox yourself, go on. Yeah. <laughs> no, I won't dox yourself, go on. <laughs> so he was born Michelangelo Merisi. So this is not Michel- Michelangelo. No, that would be called I'm, I'm going to guess. Michelangelo. He was born into a relatively wealthy family. and They weren't wealthy in jewels or cash per se, but they were wealthy in connections and they had a lot of wealthy allies. And in uh, 1577, when he was at the age of six, his grandfather and his father both died of plague. Oh, so I bet you I can't really sympathise, to be honest, because I don't know what plague feels like. But, but sounds, you know what lost for your sleep? Sounds horrific. <laughs> So not only had his grandfather and father died in 1577, when he was 13, his mother died. Unknown causes, just death. So he's orphaned at this point, he's got nobody. So the same year that his mum died, he actually started an apprenticeship with Simon Petazzano. All right. Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg, yes. Uh, Good actor, actually. Very, very good artist. Yeah. So this is where he began to get his first taste for painting and expressing himself using the paints. And as a, apprenticeships back then would work sort of similar to how they do now, where it's four years of work under a, a known established painter and you wouldn't publish anything in your name, but you would learn under the, the painter. and. So like Leonardo da Vinci with his students? and Yeah. And- after his apprenticeship, he decided to move from Milan, not just because it was, you know, nice to go to Rome, the capital city. I'm sure it was, I'm pretty sure this was during one of the golden eras of Rome. Uh, he actually left because he wounded a police officer in a, a scuffle that wasn't uh, specified. There was an altercation between them two, and then Caravaggio wounded him by stabbing him and then left without the authorities knowing yes the the authorities didn't well they 
they didn't not know who he was. He just escaped because he had connections that could get him oh, right, out, of okay. the, out of the so city. So we're already seeing him sort of being a little bit. Yeah, this is the beginning. Well, the not beginning, side. but this is like the seedling. Once he got to Rome, he started working under Giuseppe Cesari. Okay, now this is not just any painter down the road. This painter was the favorite artist of Pope Clement the Eighth. So it's not okay. just your regular schmegler. I paint walls. The Pope likes this guy. So this is this is the same level as Michelangelo with a, he got commissioned by the Pope. Is that your only reference point? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my only art reference point. This is going to be a long podcast. So this was during a time of Rome where Christianity was expanding and so not necessarily expanding in the way of recruiting more people to the faith, but they were expanding their presence by building more churches and cathedrals and making sure they were all extremely decorative. And so um, Caravaggio got to paint churches during this period because they were getting, the uh, artists were getting inundated with requests to do this wall in this church and stuff. This is where he began to tinker with what became his identifiable style, which is naturalism or radical nat- naturalism, which is- Is that naked bodies or? No but I can see why you'd go there. It's more about to do with the harshness and difference between light and shadow, what's shown and what is hidden and what is perceived and what is unperceivable but still exists. So it's sort of like um, a lot of his paintings are heavily religious because of obviously the time he was painting and the contrast between shadows and lights is very stark and it's done intentionally to draw attention to certain aspects of the painting. I wish I could say what aspects, but I'm not an expert in art. So this is when he starts tinkering with that style and we see his first recorded work, which was the work boy with a boot basket of fruit. Work boy with a basket of fruit. Should I get that up? No, not that one. But we will get up Young Sick Bacchus. Young Sick Bacchus. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It came up straight away. This is a famous painting, this. Well, that's Caravaggio. So it's a guy with... It's not a guy. Gra- it's Bacchus. It's Bacchus. Who is Bacchus? He's a god of some sort. In a pitch black background, somewhat artificially lighted. Yes. You'd agree. <laughs> I'd agree, yes. I'd agree <laughs> with that analysis. Do you agree with that statement? <laughs> He's surrounded by fruits... Okay. Uh, certain fruits uh, but the fruits. the important point of this specific painting and bringing it up and why I thought I'd show you is because this is said to be Caravaggio's self-portrait while he was sick hence sick young Bacchus okay, but portraying, sick. portraying himself in the role of Bacchus very um pale I mean, there's no photos of back then so we've you know that's sort of what he looked like so this is where we come to the the fertilizing of the seed, okay. if you will. If what I keep are we fertilizing with? it with? The, uh, we're fertilizing it with the ever strong fertilizer, street brawling in Rome. All oh, right, okay. I'm uh, going to guess the blood from from the enemies uh, soak into the soil and fertilize. I don't know how fertilization works. Well, you see, it's just a metaphor, so it doesn't <laughs> have to go that far. Is the fun well, thing? Well, just in case people are, you know, interested. <laughs> So he left the previous painter that he was working with, the, the favourite painter of the Pope, he left him after a heated argument. Not, not exactly fight, but they 
fell out over something that's suspected to be payment, but I mean... So he's a volatile person. He seems I mean, to be quite on edge a lot of the time. Okay. You're familiar Although, with Although I guess sometimes what would be the case is that history only records those moments that are important and maybe perhaps the two are, the, the argument is the only important bit, whereas they could have been quite amicable throughout the whole relationship. Well, you see, there was an exhibit in a certain year, perhaps 2012, perhaps 2011, I forget. It was in Rome, I believe, and it was a collection of documents, government documents, police reports and everything that correlated all of Caravaggio's life so that we do have, I mean, not all because it's, a long time ago, but we do have a lot of records for his life. And he is both quite the good a vo- and the bad. A volatile. Yeah. He, okay. There, there is a, there is a quote, and I quote, if I can find it. Sorry, just, just so people know, <laughs> he's got a tablet, and the, the font size is about two pixels, and he's zooming in slowly to, to all of these quotes, hoping that he'll find the. Uh, the right one. Okay, so this is this is my favourite one because this is from a contemporary source, someone who knew Caravaggio at the time. After a fortnight's work, he will swagger about for a month or two with a sword at his side and a servant following him, from one ball court to the next, ever ready to engage in a fight or an argument, so that it is most awkward to get along with him. So he was obviously a bit of a... Bit of an awkward... Bit of a... Guy. Yeah. Yeah. Let's leave it at that. The fertilisation in this case, as I've said, was street brawling, but specifically he forged a friendship with the painter Prospero Orsi, the collector Honorio Longhi, and artist Mario Miniti, or Minici, which so I think have... is a brilliant name. So this is they, they were just, just friends. a group of friends. Are they all volatile? Do they all ha- get on in some way? Uh, well, they're, they're volatile by our standards, but back then it was fine to just be argumentative and stuff. It was, well, okay. not fine, sorry, but it was common. But obviously Caravaggio was a bit of an outlier when it came to this. But it was actually uh, Longhi, collector Honorio Longhi. Uh, he introduced them to street brawling as a fun recreational way to so let th- off a this bit was of something that that happened a bit a bit like cockfighting in in the victorian yeah. britain it was like yeah just a an, another sport yeah per se recap let's recap first what's happened he has been orphaned he was orphaned by he, plague and something else something else something mysterious because it's Ooh. he's a mysterious guy <laughs> <laughs> he has Went to apprenticeship to become a painter, left Milan to go to Rome after he's assaulted an officer, and for then some reason. if for some reason, and then went to this painter that was commissioned by the Pope, so he's an important painter. He's met some three guys, top lads, <laughs> all <laughs> all round great geezers. <laughs> geezers, okay. So. Now he has set himself up for an event. The event. The event. The event. Okay. Deep in the city is living one of the most renowned artists. Not so just yet. Okay. But he will be. He'll get there. Caravaggio. Okay. Oh, I like that. It's almost like I'm in Assassin's Creed. <laughs> And he's heading out to the Palacorda Courts that were located in the Campo Marzio area. Now, Palorda is a 
uh, former version of tennis where the ball was attached to the board with a rope, but I'm not necessarily sure how it was a multiplayer game. But there was a court for it. Interesting. <laughs> At least you won't lose the ball. I tried to do more research, but people it only came up on like two articles and they didn't they were talking about it indirectly, so I don't know what it is. Interesting. So they actually went to the French ambassador's personal Palauda Royal Court because you can't just ever go to the one down the road. You have to go to, you know... What ambassador? The French ambassador oh, to Rome. Oh, France. Mm-hmm. So okay. you know it's got nice and hedges and stuff. Oh, yeah. Nice tapery there. <laughs> he was going there with his friends. And then on the off- opposite side, we have our other character in this event, Renuccio Tomassoni, which I think is a beautiful name. Is that the other friend? This is not. Friend. This is the opponent. This is the victim in today's event. Was he an op- opponent on tennis, though? On this, they were on the, they were on the court together, but I don't know if they actually played together. Okay, as you'll see. So I, what I'm picturing is, you know, those tennis players that end up smashing their rackets and and, and sort of. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and then it just boils over a bit. And you then... know what tennis is like. <laughs> it's a very volatile game. So. Our two casts are about to meet on the court, and an argument ensues. It's still relatively unclear what the argument was about, but we will talk about that in the theories, because there's a couple of theories, and there's also a document that might tell us what it is. But we'll play with the mystery for a bit. Probably dick size. (laughs) It usually is when men fight. Caravaggio had had long curated a career of crimes, ranging from carrying the sword without a permit to throwing a plate of artichokes in the waiter's face because he didn't like how he was being, how he was being serviced. Which, I mean, you know, if your waiter's a bad waiter, just throw the food in their face. It's, it's obviously their well, fault. Well, the thing about artichokes as well, what you want is them to be cut correctly and not fade in colour. And when they fade in colour, your whole heart fades and your whole soul becomes really angry and volatile, just like Caravaggio. Everyone knows this. Thank you for tuning in to Muse Meals. Uh, <laughs> Muse Meals. <laughs> so perhaps in this context, it is understandable that Caravaggio goes from zero to 100 quite quickly. And it does go from zero to 100 very quickly because he immediately unsheathes his sword, which you obviously take to the tennis court just in case you need it. Yeah. And he slashes down with, a sl- with, with, with ferocity. Mm. Not necessarily in the movie version of a war way of like, but more of a, you know. Your movie version of a war is an 80-year-old man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But the blade came down very quickly. And although it didn't... This is at the opponent. At Renuccio. So it's not just at the... uh, No. No. But he did, he was, well, it's thought he was intending to ward him off rather than actually hit him. But he did hit him, and unfortunately, he pierced the femoral artery. Okay, artery sounds bad. Yes, above his groin. Oh. And this caused... So me saying dick size is a bit bit We'll get to it, we'll get to it. (laughs) This, obviously, is a a fatal injury, and Renuccio bleeds out very, very quickly, and dies there on the court, as you do. Okay. So he's already murdered someone. Yeah. Whether uh, by mistake or on purpose, we don't yet know. We'll get to that in a moment. Okay. (laughs) So immediately after this has happened, he decides that 
just like with Milan, the best thing to do is just run away. And that's what he does. He uses, you do? He uses connections in Rome, as usual, and he goes to Malta. Malta. Malta's a really nice place. Have you ever been? Neither have I. <laughs> <laughs> While he's making his way to Malta, which th- there are a couple of other stops, and we might talk about them in a minute, but in Rome, the case is still going well ahead. And the court prosecuted him in absentia, because obviously he'd left the city, but they still had to prosecute him first, murder in Ranuccio. And he was made ban- Bando Capital, which sounds very cool, but actually... It's when the, it's basically enemy of the state and anybody who is within, in the Roman states, they are able to kill Caravaggio with impunity and receive an award. So he's on the most wanted list. He's on the most wanted list. How many paintings has he done so far? A lot. I'm going to guess a lot because he's been a student. So he's, you know, done a lot. He would have just done... The Madonna de Lorento, which was a portrait of a muse said to be Madalina de Paolo Atognetti. So at this point, Sades is showing me a painting of Madonna by Caravaggio. She is holding a baby and is somewhat an angelic figure with a halo over her head. To the right of her are two kneeling people uh, begging for something. Naked baby. Usually Christ, if it was a baby. Okay. Because, you know, Christ and all. Uh, but this this lady in the in, on the left is reported to be Maddalena de Paolo Antognetti, who served as the mu- her muse for Caravaggio uh, for a few patents, but this is the most notable one as it shows her face, not just her body. Uh, and she was also the cause of a brawl that he had been involved in previously because of intermingling and she was cheating well she was married yes but they had they seemed to have a fun time fun time they didn't date fun time so if if Alice Levine was in this situation (laughs) she would be getting leave her alone she would be she's not gonna show up (laughs) she'd be washing the dishes um, while they do their business down uh, upstairs with the husband in the living room type of situation At this stage, Sades is exploring the many theories behind Caravaggio and the murdering of Renuccio. Theory 1. The Polite Gangbang. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So this is is a theory. It's, it's, um, It's one of the more louder theories because it's not necessarily backed up by specific evidence, but evidence of the, the culture at the time. So this is just saying that Caravaggio and Ranuccio were a part of two opposing groups or gangs. Like and Romeo and Juliet, two opposing families. Perhaps. Yeah. Although I don't, I don't think they kissed, unfortunately, which oh. would be a nice end to the tale, but maybe not. They uh, kissed while he's bleeding, his groin is bleeding out. Yes. That's how we all kiss. Mm. Uh, so this theory based is, as I said, they were part of two opposing gangs and they prearranged a duel, which then obviously resulted in Renuccio dying. This would not necessarily constitute murder, but it was, it is important to point out that in Rome, even duels were extremely illegal. Okay, so, so it wasn't like, it wasn't like in Britain where duels were pretty much 
Balderdasha. <laughs> pretty much the norm. That was a ghost reference, by the way. Um, pretty much the norm. I mean, my only reference point in history is basically Victorians. I've been defaulted to yeah, Victorians. Yeah, I know. I've, I've noticed that every time um, you've made a reference. <laughs> if it's so not Michelangelo, it's Victorians. In, in Britain, dueling was pretty much... I don't want to say the norm, but it was done quite often. And it was amicable. Yeah, yeah, towards the sort of mid to late 19th century, it began to fade away and become very unfashionable. Um, but in here, it's completely illegal. In Rome, you're not allowed to duel. You're not even... Well, you're, you're not supposed to duel at all. And so any duel is considered illegal and then that's punishable by death itself, just having the duel. Okay. So obviously killing your dueling opposition is much, much more of a heinous crime, possibly constituting why he was an enemy of the state. So the tennis court that they were on... Palorda. Palorda. Um, (laughs) that was was that like basically like a monument so like in Liverpool you'll just say okay I'll I'll meet you outside the liver building or whatever I don't know because I'm not a scouser but (laughs) you know when you've got cities that that have certain monuments was the Pallada um, a monument that people go okay let's meet here I'd assume so inconclusive because I wouldn't imagine they've been, they've been invited. Have they been invited? Did you say? No, they they just went. Okay, there. so yeah, I guess so. I mean, it would be a monument uh, for people to meet up anyway. There might have been people around during the duel outside of the the sort of rivaling factions. So that's quite interesting, isn't it? Really, or at least I think it's interesting. <laughs> So, Sorry. <laughs> so that's the first theory anyway. Okay. They, they might have arranged to have a duel and Renuccio died, which is a bit of a boring theory, but it is also quite likely. So then we move on to the second theory, the theory I like to call keep my wife's name out your f***ing mouth. <laughs> What that re- that's a reference to? Oh, no idea. It's, I thought of that myself. Really don't know why you went all American. It was a bit weird. <laughs> so in this uh, this instance, it's theorised that Caravaggio simply insulted Renuccio's wife in the presence of, obviously, Renuccio, but also Renuccio's wife's brothers. Okay. And then this ensued a, ba- a brawl between both sides, and Renuccio ended up dying. Okay, so this is... He's been... Renuccio's been faced with either looking like a weak husband in front of the family, or death. She might not have been a great wife. I don't know. There's not that much... Consist- She's not like Madonna. <laughs> when, I say- oh, oh, the- <laughs> when I say Madonna, I mean... The Madonna di Loretto from the actual painting and not Madonna falling down the stairs with a cape. That Madonna. Why that Madonna? Sorry, but that's all I can remember it by. So, again, there's not much substance to this theory. Not much to prove or back anything up. It's a possibility because both sides were quite volatile and someone did end up dead, so there was obviously an argument of some description. But as I said, not much substance, so we'll just move on to the third theory, which is, I I think is a fun one. This is the triangle theory.
And now there won't actually be any triangles, so you might be a little bit disappointed. <gasps> is this like a relationship of triangles? Like it a triangle is. How did you know? It seems that Caravaggio and Renuccio, I'm sorry, Italy. I know I'm probably butchering them. Uh, <laughs> they may have been dating the same woman. And uh, an argument broke out because they were dating the same woman. And it's alleged that this is the reason that Caravaggio specifically sliced towards the groin as localized injuries meant certain things in duels and an a cut on the groin would be a uh, a statement against one's manhood well yeah uh, yeah i don't i imagine like castration and everything else is probably pretty much removing the the idea of sexuality from from a man so it's pretty so the, the i mean that that's very deep a stuff. deep cut if you will <laughs> it's a deep cut <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that's the. I would say that's the interesting theory because I I I do have a bit about the lady that we'll go into in a moment because she shows up in one of the. the What's the lady's name? The lady's name is. Sorry, I'm just the feminist within me has to have this lady named instead of just calling her a woman. Okay, so the woman's name was. Felide Malandroni, who allegedly Caravaggio was not just fond of but madly in love with to the point of obsession. So, oh, so okay, so this is this is like Joe Goldberg. Is it? Is it like Joe Goldberg? I don't know who that Didn't, is. So. Well, Joe Goldberg is from the the uh you Netflix series. I have a Netflix series? Yes, you do. And your name is Joe Goldberg. And what you decided to do is fall madly in love that's with quotation marks um, and become so obsessed you end up killing every single partner you have is it like that but not quite like just just a step below Joe Goldberg yeah so like Joe Light let's say Joseph you know not Joe but Joseph they're related okay, yeah. but not the same so yeah so she was the lady in the middle um, and Caravaggio was incredibly jealous of, of her relationship or alleged relationship with Renuccio and that's what led to the argument and thus the placement of the uh, wound being above the groin being indicative of an intimate quarrel uh, which is verbatim what the placement of wounds encyclopedia says. It's an intimate quarrel. quarrel so. Quirrell? Professor Quirrell? <laughs> so now we come to the final theory. The theory I call this is probably what actually happened because that's just how life is. Catchy. Theory. That's really catchy. So in this theory, it's stated that not only was Caravaggio a little bit of a stabby stabby, but he was also a lot of a gambly gambly, <laughs> which is how I like to say a gambler. <laughs> and he seemed to owe a lot of money to Renuccio and Renuccio's gang. So... It seems that the true story, which is backed up by police reports that were collated and exhibited in 2011, as previously stated. Okay. They, they say that Renuccio was sent by the, the gang, or the gang of people, because it wasn't necessarily the mafia. So he's been, he's been sent by the Godfather? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> To go to a lot of money. <laughs> That's terrible. A lot of money to gangi gangi. So he he's been sent out to Caravaggio to say, We want no fucking money. You know? 
I preferred mine better, but yeah, sure. Well, mine was real, so. And Caravaggio became incredibly angry and decided to stabby stabby, and that's how he died. That is the true story, it seems. As how far did as he I escape can... from the gangy gangy? He just left. He left, he left, he. Now, we'll just do a little summary of how his life went after the event. Because the event itself is interesting, and obviously we have a few theories. Not many substantial because of the time that it took place. Unfortunately, no one was there to write anything down. But uh, it's also interesting to look at what comes after the event as well. Hit the road, Caravaggio. So immediately after the crime, he did a, a bit of island hopping because Rome was a very big place, obviously, but there was a lot of small estates that he could move to undercover with, obviously, help from his allies. But he eventually settled into Malta in 1607, so there was quite a few... Which he, he went to Malta already, didn't he? Yes, that... And, oh, and we've, we've okay. joined up. We've joined All up. right, we're joining up. That's really good you, podcasting you, you, you for see you. the dots. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so he was actually under the protection of the Knights of Malta. Now, don't know what it is, but the internet says that it was an order of soldiers who were meant to protect the King of Malta and also any important individuals. So he must have been somewhat connected. Mm. Also, he was, by this time, quite famous as Caravaggio, the painter. So he had his fans. He made a deal to stay under the protection of the Knights of Malta in exchange for portraits that he would do of them. But let's just say he didn't didn't try his best. Okay. He just wanted to be protected, basically. So um. So what was he what was he painting? Was because I'm thinking knights. Well, he was painting cod pieces, perhaps. Ye olde dick pic. <laughs> yes. No, actually, uh, there was quite a few paintings, but only one really stands out, which is one you'll have to get up, which is called the Beheading of Saint John the Baptist. I think he means Saint John. I literally don't. <laughs> Ooh, now, I like this. This is a rather saucy one. Saucy. Saucy. Because not only is it one of like three considered Caravaggio masterpieces because of the technical skill of painting such a scene, as you can see the contrast between the lights and the darks is quite stark and the darkness envelops the photo a lot more than the light does. It's very Baroque. Baroque, yes. Baroque. Baroque Obama. <laughs> so while this is considered one of his masterpieces, it's not actually the one I'd like us to concentrate on for this part. This part. Now this is a really good one. Sades is going to show me the painting of David and the head of Goliath. Now this painting shows David with a sword in his right hand and in his left hand is the head of Goliath. If you do not like the sight of blood, then I would advise you not to search this on the internet. But if you do, then go ahead. This is David with the head of Goliath. We're all familiar with the fable of David and Goliath. Big man, little man, fight. Little Big man cook, wins. Little cook. Cardboard box, exactly. We're, we're all familiar with it. Uh, in this painting, it's obviously, as the title says, it's David with the head of Goliath. But the thing that's interesting is that the the head of Goliath is modelled off 
Caravaggio. And one thing that is unusual is that David is depicted as quite sorrowful and remorseful for killing Goliath, where in other paintings it would be more jubilant and celebration because they've got rid of the tyrant, basically. Uh, And this... This is the painting that people think points to Caravaggio showing remorse and understanding what he did. And as I said, either showing remorse or feigning remorse, because this is a painting that was painted to be sent over to the Pope. Okay. So it may have just been a, I'm sorry, let me back, but we'll never know because, (laughs) because everything then went to the fan. I mean, this is really interesting, this this painting, I think, because not only has he got a sword, which we know um, he did actually slice the uh, the groin of... Femoral artery or the femoral f- artery? The femoral artery. Um, so you've got the, the rapier there, and then you've got the head. Now, actually, the other painting that you showed us didn't have any blood... Because that was, yes, the head of St. John the Baptist. Yes. This one has a lot more license to it because it, it, it wants to basically have him as the... Goliath as the, the enemy of the state. So what you have is more blood. And I think it's sort of so much more visceral when you have a look at this painting compared to the other painting. You've got this viscerality there... But looking at the, looking at the, who is this? David. David. Look at, look at David, Ew, David. and and his face, particularly his eyebrow. It's sort of like a, oh, uh, that's a pity. Yeah. It's remorseful, not, I think is what quite, we call it. I don't know, though. <laughs> Something about it is not quite remorseful. Well, as I said. It, it's sort of feigning remorse, exactly. As I said, feigning exactly. remorse to gain favour. And it's interesting, really. Um, that he's he's also got um, blood on his forehead as well. Oh well, it gets everywhere. Once you've made the one slice, it's everywhere. <laughs> I that don't know that what... Palau de court, court in Rome to this very day is red. And he's got really big gaps of, between his teeth. Obviously, needs to go to an orthodontist for that. Well, there's not many giant orthodontists out there. He was the last giant. Uh, and he was the last orth- uh, giant orthodontist I'd, as I'd... well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> in a in a cruel twist no, of fate. Yeah, not many people know that. Uh, one of one of the things I do like though is how, although obviously Dave, uh, Goliath's head is there dangling with blood and looking very creepy, the light and focus is on David and the again as you said the feigned remorse expression he has on his face, but that that's where our eye is pulled focus to. It's to not revel in the death of this giant giant <laughs> but to take notice of the murderer of, of the giant the was he truly it's very much focused on the giant whereas you said a lot a lot of other paintings with david and goliath focus on goliath being this this monster. enemy monster, monster that we have to look to and you know perhaps not be as remorseful as david is here so it's interesting that the main subject of the painting is actually remorse Heavy is the head. Heavy is the head. I mean, he's, he's gripping that like, <laughs> like there's no tomorrow. So just before this painting, which was 1609, 
Okay. Which is, I think, a fun, a fun day. Just 1609. It just feels very It's cool. nearly 69, but not quite not 69. Quite. <laughs> uh, so we're in, we're in August 1608. Okay. Just to be... I hope that's clear. We're, right now, we're discussing August 1608. And the painting was done in 1609. Okay. okay. So in 1608, he was imprisoned. Which, you know, probably should have happened a lot earlier but he was imprisoned after brutally attacking an aristocratic knight not a knight of of the the round table yes not one of them but the of malta not not one of the maltese ones no not just a, an ordinary knight this okay. was a, a knight of, of stature okay and uh eventually he was too important for them to kill so instead he escaped and was then cast out of the order and they described him as a foul and rotten member which is a bit of a good summary for someone who brutally murders an aristocratic knight and unfortunately i can't tell you what he did that was brutal because there's no record it's just <laughs> it's just quite flouncily written this brutal murder i thought you i thought you were going to say that the it, italian government just doesn't want you to talk about that <laughs> we, we've just had word from italy we, we, we need to stop uh so after this happened he then fled to naples which is where he painted the david with the head of goliath okay in 1609 uh almost 69 uh and it it was sent over to a friend he had Cardinal Scipione Borgis, who was the nephew of the Pope, in order to move this painting to the Pope as a way to pay for him to come back to Rome, because he really wants to go back to Rome. As you do, I mean, it's a very nice place, I'd imagine, not being. So 1609 in the summer, this is where the Maltese aristocratic knight gets a bit of revenge and sends a posse of knights to attack um, Caravaggio, which leaves him quite wounded. Not dead, but he's quite beat up. Uh, And he decides he'll get on a boat to Rome and he'll be fine. But he never made it to Rome. He died on the 18th of July, 1610. the f- a slash to the face he received during the previous b- brawl with the knights uh, became infected either with malaria or syphilis, which I don't think you'd want either of those, but it is what it is, especially in your face. I could, I if I had to choose, syphilis would be the way oh, to go. <laughs> uh, so he died on the boat? Uh, he died on the boat. To Rome? Three days From before, Naples? Three days before it was ready to take off oh so he 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 didn't even no they didn't he was waiting for the voyage yeah okay and he He was like waiting it's like waiting for a doctor's appointment these days he was he was he was waiting a long time yeah let me get this straight so he's painted the painting of david and goliath sent that to the papacy Mm -hmm. during that time between sending it to the papacy and anything else we don't know there's what no first-class stamp, so it takes... It takes longer for... A, a lot longer. It takes longer for the painting to arrive to, to the Pope than it does for him to die. Yes. Uh, it's really interesting. I think that 
you know, he's he's um, he dies before the painting gets to the Pope, especially because it's it's sort of like this age old thing of you know you only become sorry before you die, and in this case, the Pope sees that he is either feigning sorrow sorrow or actually feeling sorrow after he's actually died, which is interesting. In this episode, we have explored the murderous rage of Caravaggio, a volatile figure with the flair of a genius and the ego of a madman. Caravaggio began his life as an orphan and then an apprentice to a famous painter. His life is one of rags to riches and rags again constantly fleeing the police or himself. He assaulted an officer, fled and killed a rival, and fled again to Malta, finally showing remorse for the murder. He was a person of perpetual chaos, but was he a psycho killer or a troubled soul? If you've enjoyed this episode of Muse Murders, we upload new episodes to all major streaming services every Friday. This has been Muse Murders, where art and crime collide.